Terry Developer News, episode number 70 for Monday, uh, December 2nd, 2013. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Sue John Capadia. And I'm Joe Confino. How do we get here? We got to episode 70. It's, that's a lot of episodes. Hey, um, so anyway, um, it's been one of those wacky weeks. So we've got a lot of interesting notes here. And actually, this is the non-crazy time-folding uh, Stephen Hawking version of the Dev News. <laughs> Don't you think? It's a little, more, a little more straightforward. Then. It is. Yeah. Well, let's start off. GigaOM had an article, uh, which was one of these, you know, try to uh, spur controversy and comment about the upcoming web. Um, so the, arm yourself. The API wars are coming. So, so it's uh, by James Donnellan from MuleSoft. Uh, summary is the arms merchant of the cloud and a new wave of developers armed with APIs are going to cause massive t- technology disruption. Now, so the point being, you know, here we all are, you know, looking at all these different web services and cloud services, and everything has an API, and everything has to cost something, and people are going to start farming out lots and lots of pieces of their application to cloud APIs. Yes. And no one disagrees with that, I don't think. So one outage will, like, wipe out everything. Bingo. And the problem is the outage could be any outage of any piece of your architecture. Uh, And so, you know... <laughs> he basically said that uh, it's a radical change that's coming. Micro software as a service APIs, lots of pluggable features. Point being, you could do it that way, right? Sure. Yeah. And there's a, I mean, feature as a service is, I think, a thing now where you could be getting one feature like like this person. I guess he's calling it micro SaaS, which totally I agree with. And it's actually really valuable as a developer because you can really inexpensively outsource individual pieces of functionality rather than outsource an entire application. But I'm wondering, like, you know, so as people are starting to do this, how do you determine, you know, you're working on an application, someone says, we need something for the next five years. Yeah. And we just got over, we're talking about Everpix, right? And Everpix going, mm, you know, boom. Um, and that was not necessarily a software as a service, but it was a startup. And you could imagine that a fair number of these services are going to be startup based. Um, how do you protect yourself against something like that? I mean, one thing that we're doing is, Imagine, you know, you can do a rapid prototyping. So now rather than build a quick version of it, you buy a quick version of it, but you architect it in such a way that you can build your own version on the side later. Right. So you buy now, build later. I think that's one way that you can do it is, you know, to kind of think if we had to re-implement this ourselves, if we had to move from AWS to, you know, whatever, some other provider, could we do it? So you, you have to build your application in a way that you can be cognizant of being able to migrate off those pieces because they don't just have to go down, although they're going down is an interesting one, but they could jack up their prices. They could all of a sudden yes. have, have lousy, you know, a competitor could be better. So it, it certainly would give you pause if the magic, quote unquote, and I'm doing air quotes, of your application <laughs> is farmed out to a third party provider, then right. you can't replicate that magic, you know, if, if you have to move away from right. it. I, I think you hit a key point where it helps you ramp up really fast. If you're a startup company that needs to get a product out on the market, something like this is actually great because you can use this to build something and test out your product rapidly in the market. But later on, you may need to replace a component or, you know, a SaaS component in this case. So you can build that out. But I think this model is also great for large organizations internally, where instead of building monolithic applications internally in a large enterprise, they build their APIs and their services, and then companies can sort of take that, you know, and cobble up a bunch of different applications based on that. The the uh, comments are fun. <laughs> this is one that you should read the comments. They're a lot of fun. It's basically that back and forth push pull of this is great, but what happens when the IT managers do this? And now, you know, they leave. 
You know, think about it that way. You know, you've got this IT director who says, we're going to do everything in software as a service. We're going to find things off the shelf and use them. And they went and they just wholesale do that. Mm-hmm. Isn't that no different than like writing a lot of spaghetti code and leaving? It's the same kind of thing, right? Bad management's bad management. I was talking to my friend at a large enterprise, and their strategic direction is to outsource everything that isn't essentially a core competency. And so they're looking, you know, at an enterprise level to, uh, you know, buy everything that that's not core to their business. And I don't think it's necessarily invalid. I mean, people are doing that, but when you microize this, and so yeah. your app is just a shell around 50 different services for a large enterprise app that all have, like you said, their own prices and everything. Right. It's wow. always a, it's, it's the same decision with COT software or even open source projects, right? It's a trade-off because yeah. you start doing that and you hit a point where you can't customize something enough to your to meet your needs and you have to either extend it or rewrite it. And at that point, you have to, you know, you, you may have to go back and rewrite everything. So Yeah. Hey, speaking of rewriting everything, let's say that you wanted to rewrite your entire web tier in Scala instead of JavaScript. You could do that now. (laughs) Um, Well, not yet anyway. Uh, It was only a matter of time was the headline I put it under. Um, Scala JS is alive. So we've talked about Clojure. Uh, We've talked about CoffeeScript and a bunch of others. Now there's a Scala to JavaScript um, cross-compiler. Scala.js version 0.1 has been officially quote-unquote released, which means people can start working with it and uh, get going with something. Um, and it has, you know, libraries for things like static types for various parts of the DOM API, Scala.js DOM, that's a sub-project on GitHub. Uh, there's jQuery static types as well um, to try to be able to call jQuery from, an, a, you know, Scala idiom. There's apparently a workbench, which is an SBT plugin for Scala.js projects. What do you guys think about this? I think it's terrible. <laughs> so, so, so I, I actually... Okay, so one of my friends retweeted this, and uh, he actually then said in a follow-up tweet he thought it was a joke. Like, he didn't actually think it was real. April Fool's. He, yeah, exactly, but it's real. So maybe I'm just, you know, old and crotchety, and I like these other languages that compile to Java bytecode, but taking Scala and combining to ByteScript, JavaScript? Well, would you say the same same thing about someone says, here, here's CoffeeScript, go code? Well, actually, I'm not a fan of CoffeeScript either. Mm -hmm. Or if I said, here's Clojure script, go code. I'm not a fan of parentheses. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I agree with Joel here. No thanks. (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel the same way about actually GBT. You know, it's like, here is a Java-based API that guts itself out to JavaScript in seven different formats. Go have fun with it. Yeah. That's the extreme of this. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, impressed that somebody could pull it off, but I just don't get it. And, I, you know, I don't want to denigrate what they're doing. Um, but at the same time, it's, yeah, it's the cross-compiling is always painful. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We might all be coding in Scala Workbench. I don't think I will be. <laughs> Anyway, Scala.js uh, at your grocer's freezer now. <laughs> and uh, that's on scalalang.org news um, by Sebastian Dorian. All right, next. Um, hey, speaking of Scala, I have all these segues today. Uh, Jamie Allen, and I keep always saying this in front of Jamie Allen, ex-charioteer, uh, he is a type-safe person. He basically is the uh, type-safe uh, America's dude uh, who runs the show there. And uh, he actually was a keynoter at Jack's London 2013. And I think both uh, Sujan and I saw that and went, get out of town, looked at the, the keynote. But he's talking about uh, what you need to know about Lambdas. Uh, has anyone looked at this yet? I have not seen the presentation, but I've mm-hmm. read plenty on Java 8 and Lambdas. Yeah. So, And Jamie's always a great speaker. Um, so, yeah, I think that this will be a good resource. If you don't know what's coming up with Java 8, 
they have to pay attention to it because the JDK is changing, the guts of you know the JVM byte code are changing. So, you know where do lambdas fit in? How can you use them from Scala? How can you use them from Java? Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm just uh, waiting for it to come out now. I'm tired of hearing about oh the Java eight release date release like just is get it March released. now? That's what they're saying. But you know, last time I heard it was March or whatever it was last time yeah. it came the next year. Kept getting pushed. Yeah, they've been talking about the Java release date for what, like two years now? Yeah, or come start, on, guys, start using the Open JDK if you really need it. <laughs> right? Yeah, because you can always get that, and you can still get the beta of Open uh, of reg- the regular you JDK. Can, yes. Yeah, so it's out there for playing around with, but it's not truly released. Um, okay. Anyway, so that's at jacksenter.com, uh, and we'll again post the notes uh, and the uh, the actual uh, show there. All right, uh, another one, uh, Agent for Android. Um, this was kind of interesting, tools you can use. And I've seen some things like this. Actually, uh, as I played with it, I kind of muted myself to it because I have a Galaxy uh, Note 3, and it's sitting here. And the Galaxy Note 3 uh, has a whole bunch of little features like this. So, for example, when you start driving, it says, I better put you in driving mode. And, and, and it says some really cheesy thing like it said to me yesterday, and I had a horrible day yesterday. And it said, I hope you've had a great day. <laughs> Hopefully this ride will give you some attempt to want to throw me out the window. Yeah, I heard exactly. exactly what it said. And I'm like, really? Is that what you got? But, you know, put it in read the messages mode and things like that. It can find out if you're sleeping, what your sleep times are, and put it to sleep. Eliza um, mode. Yeah, right, yeah. Hello, how do you feel about your father? Um, but they have these different agents. So, there's, for example, there's a battery agent that kicks in, and as your battery starts to fade, uh, you know, gets a little more life out of your phone. Have you guys ever tried anything like this? I have not. It's kind of cool. I actually do have one called Juice Defender, which is a battery agent that actually kicks butt. I've got a, a Galaxy uh, Note 2014 tablet that I picked up, and it's a little bit battery-hungry. And so I put Juice Defender on it, and it totally gives me back the power because at night it goes to sleep, and it turns off all the wireless services, turns off all the networking, wakes up the next morning, you know, and it, and it won't even enable anything networking unless I, I deal with it if it gets to a certain battery level. But this just kind of highlights the Android versus iOS world. Yes, I envy your agents. <laughs> <laughs> the parking agent sounds pretty cool if you read that. Yeah, the parking agent is basically it will figure out that your speed was X, you know, faster than walking, let's say. Uh, and then once you've slowed down for a while and then you stopped, it says this must be where your car is, which is really cool. Then sends that data off. To, yeah, to the FBI. Uh, meeting agent, I would never use this. Silences your phone during a meeting. Uh, and it uses Google Calendar, so I forget to oh, delete a meeting. That's my and way of sudden, getting out of meetings. I need to know. <laughs> ring, ring. Remember the, the fake ringers? You guys ever yeah. use those? <laughs> you could call, you can ring you in like five minutes. Those are, are you the best serious? Ones. Yeah, you would set it, your phone. It's just an application. In five minutes, it would like ring. They were like, iOS apps. Like uh, you know, a call, and then you could just you know. I've never heard of that. Fake wow. dialer or something like that. So. That's nuts. And then, yeah, of course, drive agent. So basically, if you've got a Galaxy S3, 4, Galaxy Note, you've got all these apps. I'm sorry. My phone's going off. I'm going to step out for a second. <laughs> I don't know if the iOS iPhones can be considered smartphones anymore. Ooh, oh, wow. Are you wow. kidding me? That's rough. That is rough. Good luck, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> all my right. processor's bigger than your processor. Yeah. Okay, and I have one more, and then I'm going to step back and watch all you people I have four talk. cores. How many do you have? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> well, if you consider my GPU, I've got 1,000 cores or something like that. But they can only do 1 plus 1 equals 2 in floating point. Uh, all right, so the herd is moving. So remember we talked about um, uh, a couple of different applications migrating to uh, Node.js? So it turns out that Amazon 
No, no, I'm sorry. It turns out that PayPal has decided that their future direction is all JavaScript. Hmm. They're moving their Java applications to JavaScript. And so I call that, no offense to PayPal, but the herd is moving. In other words, we see enough companies now looking at JavaScript as a viable option for future platforms. They're actually saying, we're going to go Node, Express, whatever, because we feel that it's lightweight enough, testable enough, quick enough to develop around. doesn't have a big compiler uh, cycle to go through for everything. Um, but it's, again, going to a dynamic language. So, thoughts? Near the end of the article, they're saying there's performance gains for... Uh Average response time for each of their web pages? 35% decrease yeah. in the average response time for the same page. So they're saying that that's because of Node, not because of JavaScript, though, right? I'm not sure. Um, double the request per second versus the Java application. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to it, though. I mean, if you're talking about a regular server-based request response or versus, you know, this more event-based kind right. of thing, it, they're more like apples to apples will probably be. Sure. Node and then you know something equivalent written in Java like on right. Vertex or something. Right, exactly. Well, and they say here, for example, now okay, I will take some small exception, but not much, because <laughs> I'm a Java Spring developer. It says setup time uh, for Java Spring zero. What the hell does that mean? Because they already have it, uh, and then setup time for JavaScript Node.js two months. Seems like maybe that's early setup time, don't you think? I'm not even sure what would you be setting up for two months. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. Maybe they're including machine. ramping up the team and everything. I don't know what setup. Oh, time. here it is, right here. The JavaScript team. We should read. <laughs> the JavaScript team needed two months for the initial setup of the infrastructure, but they created with fewer people an application with the same functionality and less time. So okay, but that should go away after they've done a couple of these. They should be right. able to come up with setup factories and zero, yeah. set up Git projects. Well, engineers five to two is a lot less, but again, it's really tough to say apples to apples. I don't think you can yeah. say like um, five Java Spring developers well, can be replaced by two Node.js. And they said they got like a what thirty some percent development uh, improvement with less developers. Five months with I, five developers a, versus three I'm months. I'm a little with two. suspect about this. It just it's a little misleading because you could do the same thing with Java and something based on Netty. Right. Which You're is right. actually far more performant right. than Node.js. Correct. Or or you could do that with right, exactly. So for example, something like um uh Vertex. Vertex. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So I, I think but I think the part that you can't take away from it is for these guys, this turned out to be a much better solution. Absolutely. So, so it probably is tough to make any kind of general conclusions, but you hear enough of these success stories. I certainly am totally open to this idea because we're not learning 10 different languages. We just learn one, you know, all the way through. Well, no, you could do Scala on the front end. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Ken, you ever heard of – so this article mentions Dust.js as a templating framework. No, the new – that LinkedIn, I think, uh, open sourced or something. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I've been taking a look at Sales.js. That's another one that... What's S that? S-A-I-L-S. Sales, like, yeah, S-A-I-L-S. JS is a framework that runs on Node that okay. does, like, um, middleware, like, uh, hooks up to Postgres and okay. stuff in Mongo and stuff like that. And just, it's an MVC. It's sort of like Ruby on Rails, mm -hmm. but for Node.js. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then Express is a lot more low. Well, I don't know if it's low level, but it's a lot more like code level. Yeah. Well, yes. Connect is low level, and then Express on top of that is a more higher. like the Sinatra for Ruby. Yeah, right. Exactly. So if Sales is one sales is level like above, yeah. that's cool. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't get it. All right. Um, cool. Uh, let's talk about drone armies. I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is something that uh, is this yours, Sujan? No, it's not oh, mine. Joel, Joel put it on. So we were yeah. going to go talk about the evil robot army. Right. Let's talk about uh, 
Amazon's drone. Sure. Well, this one isn't too obscure since it was just on 60 Minutes. but <laughs> And, like, they're reporting it all over the world today, like, on right. every website. But but this was, I think, just a great marketing ploy you by Jeff wonder why. Bezos. Yeah, you I mean, wonder why people don't deliver fast enough. How do yeah. you put Santa Claus out of a job? Yeah. <laughs> Outsource his job? I mean, so, so I love these little drone things, but the idea is that Jeff Bezos says within five years, theoretically— um, Amazon could be delivering packages to your doorstep via a little helicopter drone thing. It's actually a quadcopter. I got something for this. So, exactly. Okay, there we so, go, yeah. so finally, the Jetsons are going to come true. But Jetson, <laughs> but, never. Um, You're fired. Yeah. You know, it's totally technically feasible, and he's, and they have the statistics where the it can travel. It can. Pick up packages up to five pounds, and 85% right. of their packages are five pounds or less. Right. It can travel, I don't know what the range is, but. The round trip range is 10 miles. And they said some percentage are within 10 miles of, you know, so this is totally feasible. It's a little hard to imagine these little helicopters flying mm. around. Certainly, there's plenty of teenagers. What about birds? Well, I, I think they could avoid birds. What they're less likely I, to avoid is the hordes of teenagers with uh, yeah. wrist rockets and BB think, guns yeah. shooting I, these I, things down for fun, <laughs> which is 100% what's going to happen. Um, I'm not sold. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I think? The biggest hurdle, of course, right now is the FAA, and there's no regulations, yeah. and you can't just fly drones around. But um, I'm just I waiting. If you, had of, if you had a hundred of these things flying, you can't avoid birds. Uh, you know they no. can avoid birds. No, they could. The birds, I don't think, are the biggest thing. No. I think it's the. Uh, There's no way they can avoid the first it. beheaded uh, granny. Where, where are you getting that from? What's that? <laughs> How are they going to avoid birds? If you had hundreds of them in the sky, impossible. I, I, just, I just don't think birds are that that uh, that tough to avoid for a drone. I don't think it has that kind of maneuverability. It's more important. It's than a the, helicopter. It yeah, can but wait, stop. wait, grannies. The first well, granny well, that goes outside. For, oh, what's it about? And sure. it cuts her head off. For sure. If that'll it, end if the it, drone. That, that'll definitely. But if, yeah. if it hits somebody, if, it, if sure, malfunctioned and fell on the highway, fell on your windshield, and then you crash your car. But I, it's even. I think it's like the um, the FAA has to, you know, approve all this stuff. I think Bezos though is just pushing this out there, five years before he wants to do it, so everybody can go. Ah, there's no way you can do that, and then. Eventually, you know, he's greasing the skids for this to happen. So I actually think they will pull it off, but I have no idea how. But I think it'd be awesome. <laughs> on, on one website, I had uh, someone made a comment. Uh, Can I order an Amazon Prime drone? And will Amazon Prime drone deliver, <laughs> deliver it? itself? Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but can you? But honestly, can you Thanks imagine? Service, sir. Can you imagine if Amazon cuts out the post office, UPS, and all that, and just flies the stuff to your house? Well, that couple would be, that with the um, that would be thing the, we were talking about last week with the. Uh, uh, out thinking its owner. I know that would be the biggest supply chain, like you know, upheaval that I can imagine. Yeah. Wow. We're, we're getting into the world of Wally here. It's really turning that out that way. Eva. All right. So. <laughs> Sorry. I think I think they're gonna do it. I think these things are gonna fly at a high enough altitude that you're not gonna be bugged by them, and then they're just gonna like come straight down yeah. and land in your and driveway. cut your dog's head off yeah. <laughs> or suck <laughs> fluffy. But you're right. There's gonna be a percentage of these that fail. It has to. Yeah, and let's say you ordered a, a someone cops. said, "What if you ordered a MacBook and it dropped it?" No, no, like, only dang. five pounds. Five pounds. MacBook Air. The, the Max. Oh, are they only five pounds really? Oh, they're light. Yeah, these okay. are light. Yeah, well, so I, I anything expensive, maybe iPad. something will be cheaper items. I don't know because yeah, no, I didn't think they were only to insure themselves on really expensive items would be. I think it'd be really expensive for Amazon. Rolex Swiss watch. Okay, you're ruining my dream. I want to see these <laughs> things flying around. I want to. I want to order something and just have it fly into my desk. Oh, uh, Jetson, you're fired. All right. It's so funny if you like order five things at the same time, you have like five drones come to your house. <laughs> There'll be a whole cottage industry of trapping I these know. things. Wait, <laughs> quickly throw the net over it. Wait, everyone, close your eyes. Ready? 
there here okay never mind it's a lord of the rings so, so there'll be there'll be flash mobs where you prank somebody by ordering 30 things that all cost a dollar and it just delivers them all to their house i would like 30 beers one at a time all right bitcoin worth nine million dollars i love this article yes. now i was listening to this this week in tech from this weekend yep. and they were all over this and they were laughing their heads off um bitcoin worth nine million dollars buried in garbage <laughs> what the it's heck happened so awesome so this this justifies every single time where you've wanted to hoard technology and be like, <laughs> even though I had this computer from 1983, I might need it some other time. Yeah, right, right. So this guy finally throws out a hard drive that actually had 7,500 Bitcoins on them. He had used this four years ago when basically it was worthless. These Bitcoins are worthless. And finally, you know, he's getting rid of some old junk. And now those 7,500 Bitcoins are worth $9 million bucks Because they're $1,200 each at the current inflated moment of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Fail. Yeah. So, yeah. So it didn't have, he was going through his backups. So the poor guy, you know, he's like a billionaire, millionaire, and he throws it out. Well, and then he's, you know, after discovering the mistake, okay, so this is by, I should say, moneycnn.com. So we don't want to forget uh, attribution by Virginia Harrison. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, he, he basically said after he couldn't find it and looked and looked and looked, he was devastated. He went, well, I just chucked this, so let's go to the garbage dump. And they were saying, you know what? It's, it's several feet down there. Yeah. <laughs> it's know? buried under 25,000 cubic meters of waste at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're hosed, buddy. Yeah. Oh, uh, what a shame. Uh, well, we're sorry for you, but uh, maybe you should be a hoarder. Maybe there's some, you know, something to be said about hoarding all your old device. I'm set. Because I've got all my dead hard drives sitting in a corner somewhere, <laughs> magnetizing each other. You know, well they're they're heavy magnets. Um, but oh well, uh, it's sad. So chalk one up. Sorry, buddy. Uh, next, uh, Joel, you played with Ember JS. Tell me about Ember. What do you like about it? Yeah. So I just want to report. So I'm just learning it, and I've got a long way to go. But um, I found it to be my first experience to be really nice, actually. So there's Ember, there's Angular, and uh, I chose to, to look at Ember.js. Good. I went to their website. They have uh, a getting started guide, a step-by-step -step to build the to-do MVC. That must be relatively new. Um, I'm glad they have it. I don't know, but it's actually really good. So good. you start with the to-do MVC uh, where you're basically building a to-do list application. And it walks you through all the concepts, how it, how you do templating, how you do routing, yep. how you do um, the data model, how you you know wire controllers together, and and all these sorts of things. And it turns out to be um, you know a really sensible framework. It's not that hard to understand. There's a little bit of a learning curve for sure. There's um, some concepts you know that you just have to kind of get your head around. But it's um, so far so good. Um, that started playing with that to do MVC. Um, you can get the project on GitHub and clone it. And uh, so I'll just keep reporting back as I build out my little secret application. The tutorial is nice. I had looked. It's actually been around for a while now. Okay, good. But uh, it I only played around with it a little bit, but it definitely covers all the key areas of Ember.js. This is a lot better than last year I looked at it um, when I was looking at the different frameworks when we went to Spring, uh, what is it, Spring 2GX, whatever it was, uh, 2012. And... There was really nothing in terms of getting started for Ember at mm -hmm. that time. And I think they recognized that because a lot of people were looking at things like Angular because they had a really decent getting started um, right out of the gate. Of course, that's where they left you off on the AngularJS stuff <laughs> and still, to a degree, let you off. The documentation doesn't get that deep. Uh, there's a lot of other people contributing docs. Um, but looks like this is much better than it was. So glad. I'm glad to see that. And uh, to do MVC again, I'll still recommend that project. That's fantastic. All right, Joel, keep checking in with us. That's fantastic. 
and I'll say fantastic one more time. Hey, fantastically, what's uh, uh, DNA analysis in JavaScript? So yet another you know JavaScript library seem to be talking about these all the time. So this uh, JavaScript library, open source, uses Node.js and streams for high performance processing. But if you can get your DNA sequenced by some company, which is actually, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that do that now. The data they give you back, you can use this library to analyze it. Wow. And you can do it in the browser. You can do visualizations on top of it. There's even something called GQL, which, you know, I don't I guess it's some sort of query language for a genome of data. But anyway, the, just the concept of taking all this stuff, putting it into JavaScript, making it accessible to anyone is pretty cool. And I can only assume that things like this are actually going to, you know, they're going to find out a lot of information and discover things that they wouldn't normally discover inside a university lab just because they're opening it up and putting it out there for anyone. This reminds me of kind of like all the Python libraries that people came out with their science for a couple of years, more than a couple of years. Um, but it's kind of cool that you're actually putting this stuff out there and saying, okay, here's a JavaScript right. library. Can you imagine using this in a classroom environment to actually oh teach God. some of the biological concepts behind DNA and things like that? It's pretty cool. I wonder if there's some sort of, you know, cadaver DNA that you can play with. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds crazy, but no, I'm serious. Like, you know, where you can say, okay, here's a cadaver. Here's what the properties yeah. for the person before they died. They've donated their DNA to science. Take a look. Hmm. Because um, I'm afraid to do my own ge <laughs> genome. <laughs> what does Ken have? Well, he's part monkey. Uh, all right, cool. Or someone sort of taking all this data and then making like an open source database of yeah. all the genomic data, which then like data scientists and other people can sort of process all that and do, you know, who God knows what. Because the danger has been like, I know a lot of the sequencing that's been done has been copyrighted. I don't know if you read yeah. about this, but the human genome. Um, and I forget what the company was. There was a company who was copywriting a lot of these procedures, and I forgot yeah. where that stood, but it seems like at least you could do this stuff directly. Cool. All right. Mall cop. R2-D2 so, mall cop. Yeah. Let's talk. Back to the drone thing here. This is awesome. So some company built the night watchman of the future, five feet tall, 300 pounds. So this is from the New York Times Science. Uh, so we definitely want to make sure we attribute this to John Markoff. Go ahead. And it actually looks kind of like R2-D2, but a lot sleeker. And I love the part where it says it'll work for six twenty-five an hour, which is like, you know, significantly That's under minimum wage. Nasty. And yes. it basically has sensors and you know video cameras, so it can do surveillance. They're saying it's not armed. Oh, funny. Saying. You, see, so you, you see a picture here with a bunch of kids in school <laughs> uniforms in the background, yeah. poor kids. It's like they're trying to run away from it. It almost looks like <laughs> night scope. K N I G H T but scope I, is the, the company. The scary thing here is like you know this is not a joke. This is not something that oh far in the future. All this far in the future stuff is happening it's now. now. Yeah, it really is not far away, and slowly these things are going to creep up and you know shoot a laser at you. Okay, so let's let's take the quote here. And again, I'm, we're quoting from an article from the New York Times, so I don't want to quote too much. We founded Nightscope after what happened at Sandy Hook, said William Santana Lee, a co-founder of the technology company now based in Sunnyvale. You're never going to have an armed officer in every school. I'm just going to okay. stop with that comment. I understand where they're coming from. I understand the fear that all parents have. I'm a parent. I got kids in elementary school. Man. But, you know, this is, this is technology trying to apply a, a solution to a problem. Actually, given that context, I guess it makes sense to have, you know, we're trying to beef up security in schools. So this is a robot that can go around if it's not armed and just like, I don't know, yell intruder. Well, intruder. Not even that. Imagine it being like hooked up into like the grid or the system for the school and it can like shut down areas, you know, lock it down with automatic doors or whatever. So it's something that can respond faster and will work for cheap. 
but you know, <clears throat> so so my my one um, lefty liberal comment <laughs> about this is, um, you know, I I've been given lots of access to my kids' information, and for example, there's this this, this terrible thing uh, that the high school that my kids have been attending has, and it's uh, we call it infinite Krampus. But it's infinite campus. It's a cramp because not all the teachers update it. So you get into this situation where you think your kid's doing X, but he's really further along in the timeline than that. But there are too many students for them to update. So you get misapplied data, not applied data, information that's not kept there, and you go nuts, right? Imagine this kind of surveillance and monitoring. Your, ki- your parents are like, well, we need to have some sort of way to keep track of what our teacher's doing in the classroom. So we're going to actually set up one of these droids and watch them, and I can stream my classroom at any time. Imagine me that teacher and some self-righteous you know, PTO parent comes up and says, you're not teaching them the common core the way I expect it, and you're, uh, that's it. I'm going to get you fired. I, could just, I can't wait for the privacy issues to hit. Yeah, I guess there are privacy issues. I mean, I could imagine that sure. no, no teacher would put up with uh, like a, even oh a video camera in there. But it's a good point. They don't point. have a choice, though. It would be like a um, – there could be some privacy concerns. And, of oh, course, yeah. if, if it could actually lock down doors, yeah. then it would be like, oh, my gosh, RGD2, would you stop locking down the school? <laughs> <laughs> so the cool, cool. Just kick, see... just kick it in the back, and then it will lock down the school. Kick. Right, right. Well, we were, I was listening again to the twit, and where people were talking about uh, This Week in Tech. They were talking about the Google Glass. And there's a whole Google Glass etiquette now. Because basically, you could be wearing glass, and I could be taking a picture of you just by winking right you know you know it's a little i'm, I'm winking at Ken, you right Ken, now. if you don't have glass and you wake that means something totally different <laughs> but you know like all these privacy issues that all these you know wearable tech and yeah. tech that's floating around your living room and delivering the, the 30 <laughs> the beers drones. The, the drones come in and they meet up with archie they go party <laughs> let me out of here must get beer although hopefully no mall cops are listening I've seen a bunch of mall cops that don't really do much, and they're just having conversations. They're trying to, like, hit, honestly hit on girls. I'm like, so okay. this robot may actually be effective in a mall. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Assuming that's it's true. the same price as the Segways that they ride around on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, can you imagine the, the, the drone riding that on was a Paul Blart. <laughs> That was Paul Blart. That's not a real mall cop. But anyway, actually it might be. No, in King of Prussia, they, uh, they are they're Oh, yeah, on they're segways. on Segways, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can outrun them easily. <laughs> Note to self, outrun segues at the mall. I do not condone that, by the way. <laughs> you outrun the segues, you're like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden this little robot comes up and lasers <laughs> you and kills you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they put a taser on one of these, it would be taken more seriously. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, we have one more thing. Uh, this is cool. Um, so talk to us about how GitHub made your life better. So, yeah, so this Sujo. is something that's obviously uh, it's pretty mundane. It's not, like, earth-shattering. But uh, if you use know. GitHub a lot... You're looking through commits, and you look at the diffs. It just shows you, let's say, three lines, for example, right, where the diff, what actually changed, and just a little bit around it. And you don't have any context a lot of times. You have to go either to the whole file, which is not annotated at that point. You're just looking at the raw file. What this does is it actually allows you to expand the lines of code around the diff differences. So in place, you don't have to go anywhere else. You can just see the different lines. And it's really useful, actually, because it's all in one place. Yay. Yeah, it looks good. I could use that. And you can say you can keep clicking unfold until you've revealed the whole file. So Oh, so you just keep on going up and up and up. Yeah. One down, down, down. That's awesome. I could have used this today actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what am I looking at? I'll go back to the editor. Now I've lost my context and my, my little reptilian brain wants coffee and mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. 
more awesome. So that's Dev News 70. Hopefully, besides the, the Mel Blank voices I've been giving you and the silly jokes, this has been useful information for you guys. Uh, and you can find out this stuff at uh, ChariotSolutions.com. Actually, uh, we're moving everything to ChariotSolutions.com within a week. Uh, so you'll be able to go to ChariotSolutions.com, probably by the time you're listening to this, and go right over to the blogs, podcasts, and screencast area and subscribe to the, the uh, Dev News right from there. But if not, the other link, link will still work, which is EmergingTech.ChariotSolutions.com slash Dev News. Uh, that link will be there and will now be chariotsolutions.com slash devnews as of the 9th of December. Uh, and so that's it. So um, I guess that's it. Anything uh, we want to kind of talk up? Anything interesting we're following? I can't think of anything else right now. I'm just going to call it quits. So that's it. So for the developer news, I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Sujan Kapadia. I'm Joel Confino. And stay away from the roving herds of robots delivering beers to Joel and I because he's going to get the beers to me. Robots with beer? Okay. Now I like Amazon Prime. <laughs> All right. Make it a good one. I have celiac disease. <laughs> Gluten-free beer. Wow. On that note, greens is really good. <laughs> could, I, could I have my uh, mean green smoothie? Yes. Greens, greens of something or other beer. Fantastic gluten-free beer. Make it a good week. <laughs>